0: Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussions, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Gordon S., Andy J., Paul M., and Cindy W. Sean Ryan is our guest today. Sean is Chief Technical Advisor of White Gold Corp., a Yukon-focused gold explorer that has multiple projects at various stages over a significant land package. Sean's work led to the discovery of white gold, coffee, and QV projects totaling about 7.5 million ounces gold. White Gold Corp is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol WGO and on the US OTC markets under the symbol WHGOF. Mr. Ryan, welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions. Thank you. Sean, uh, tell us about your early days and how you became interested in prospecting.
1: Uh, it all started back in around '96 when we were up here. We we're actually up here picking wild mushrooms for a living back then. And then, uh, then we decided to to try our hat as a prospector because we were living right in the, the heart of the Klondike Gold Rush. So you had this kind of big mystery of 13 to 20 million ounces of placer gold being dug up. But there was actually never any hard rock source ever kind of seen. It was an old showing called the Lone Star up on Bonanza, but it was just a small little showing. So so I kind of said, well, it actually reminded me of mushrooms. You don't see anything, but eventually the evidence pops up. Then it, so then that's when we decided, let's try this systematic research project and look at the whole district as a whole. So that
0: was the beginning of it back in '96. And what about now? What was it that led you to doing your work? You were prospecting. Eventually, it grew, and you got involved with the publicly listed natural resource space. What attracted you to this?
1: Well, I worked in the, the Timmins camp back in the early '80s. So, but I worked for the majors, and I kind of understood what kind of evidence they needed, to, you know, to run exploration programs on. So when I got like so, when we started trying this research here. The idea was, you know, your average prospector runs out with a rock hammer and looks for outcrop. And in this district, because it's been non-glaciated, so it's a complete different animal from the Timmins camp or the, the Shield, there's hardly any rocks. There's less than 2% outcrop exposure. So if you start doing the math, you know, it's one in 10,000 to find discovery, and then you have only 2% outcrop uh exposure what's the probability i'm going to find that one in ten thousand with the two percent <laughs> so i said no no we gotta try something different here so and then eventually one guy said you know sean the days that you coming out of the bush with a rock gold in it and getting a quick option deal they're kind of coming to a close we want to see a mineralized system and i said oh great now we only have two percent outcrop exposure and you want me to find a mineralized system so Ends up that uh, the double-edged sword was, there's hardly any rock, but there was lots of soil. And the way the soil worked here, it, because it was non-glaciated, all the kind of the metal just kind of diffused downward, kind of like the plaster gold. So then what I was able to do is I put a, a few pits in and then started assaying at different levels from six inches where your B horizon is a foot and a half to two and a half to three and a half feet. And then I quickly realized all the metal just keeps climbing up as you go down deeper until you hit this bedrock interface, which is actually only about five or six feet below. And it's not a hard rock like we hit in the shield. It's the decomposed bedrock. So the big trick ended up being pulling a, I call it a tulip planter, but it's a soil auger, but it looks like a tulip planter. Yeah, and you just dig deeper holes down two and a half to three feet or two and a half until you hear the soil auger grind. And that's where you take your soil sample and then you run them through the, the lab. But what I did differently is we systematically kind of did ridge by ridge. And then once we located a soil anomaly, like and it's, it's about, about a 2% probability. So give you an idea, if I do 100 kilometers of ridges, I'm lucky to come up with two kilometers of soil anomaly. And then I go in and I start gritting that off on a tighter space and then on a phase two and then follow up if you need on a phase three so but the idea was instead of looking at one little piece of property i ended up looking at the district as a whole and then over the since basically it was 2001 when we realized how well the soul system was working and now i've got in this district probably over 400,000 souls that our team has gathered on different projects that have optioned out to customers or even areas that we haven't even staked as we do our research. So that's kind of how the development of locating these mineralized systems and then eventually finding the, the needles in these haystacks, as I call it, that's how it came about here.
0: Well, interesting stuff and interesting approach. And adding in the reward of, of the publicly traded uh, sector with investors and so forth really adds another piece to that entire package. Take us back for a moment to the discoveries at Coffee and White Gold. Can you share with us some of your keys to success? What problems occurred? And then what lessons did you learn during your discovery advancement work?
1: Well, the, the big problem that we have, there's like a couple of things that we uh, that we face as human beings or as explorationists, is that we have good ideas, but sometimes we, uh, we get a little bit too smart for, our, for ourselves and we start skipping steps. So you yeah, do a soil program, you may not, and you're doing it 50 meters, sometimes we go good enough and we jump a step and we either drill it or we don't trench it or we don't do even detailed soils. So my job has been, over the last few years, is to actually kind of hold back the market. Because the market, the problem with our, we faced, you know, when the hay day, like, you know, 2010 and 11, when everything was going, you walked into Toronto and said, I need $2 million and I think I'm going to have a drill target in two years from now or three. I'll get, take two years to actually figure it out and I'm going to drill a perfect target on year three. They tell you, forget it. Because they would rather hear you walk through the door and say, look, I've got a, a soil anomaly. We're just going to drill it. We're going to blow $2 bucks on it and then you give her. The market would give them the money, mostly because the guys giving the money was making 7%. The guys running the company half the time, they were kind of taking a large management fee out of the out of the pot and nobody really really cared so <clears throat> what I ended up doing was like I call it my game is the royalty game because I hold royalties on all these things and to give you an idea of the detailness like the latte on the coffee that was a and spur discovery that means we're running down the, the ridge top and down the side slope and I'm taking a solo every 50 meters and only one soil hit on, it was nothing, 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 bang, and then nothing, nothing, nothing. So that one soil that's on 50 meters was actually the tip of the iceberg that highlighted a million and a half ounces under that. So we went in and gridded it and seen, continued to see the structure. But the point is, is these things are that subtle, and you could be five meters away and still blow it drilling. So that's kind of our biggest downfall that companies try to, I call it, jumping the like you know they're skipping steps and trying to drop the black ball this was a pool game on the first go around and i'm kind of going no no set your shots up do your systematic work and then what we're doing is we're lowering our probability of failure because we don't really know if there's a deposit there but if we don't do the job right we're going to fail so if we do it right and so that's why i like to add quite a few of the science like I call it unbiased science. Geochemistry is unbiased. Geophysics is unbiased. And then you get these structure guys, and usually they're kind of unbiased because they're just measuring cracks. And then you bring in the geology side. And usually the rocks are, you know, black and white. Like they are kind of what they are. So the idea is that you have to have them four components into picking out that drill target. And once you line up all them four, then your probability of success is that it's max. And, uh, and then it's the assay gods that'll tell the tale. So, but that's what we're supposed to do. And, and I'd say 70% of the companies don't do that. They either they believe in just geophysics or they believe just in geology. So, but my job as a researcher, you know, that's really what I am, uh, is to actually line up them stars that we get the highest max probability of a successful whole.
0: Well, it's been a good, uh, method because it seems to work out quite well for you. And, uh, you seem to always be onto something that's going to turn up and, uh, even capital markets that might be a little low on sentiment, so forth. Uh, there's always something that you're working on. That's uh, potential has good potential to come out. So I want to talk about the, the broad market, natural resources, uh, specifically gold. Where are we today and what is your take on this market and how do we get sentiment Capital and higher gold prices back?
1: The market, like, see, uh, I never really kind of paid too much attention to it because to give you an idea, when I staked the white property that turned into a million and a half ounces, that was back in 2003 and gold was 300 bucks. (laughs) So, but the idea was it takes us years to actually uncover good projects. So if you kind of wait for the gold price to shoot up, then you're kind of Starting at that, you know, like you're starting a little bit late in the game. So the idea is that, you know, you got to keep plugging away and coming up with these projects. So it's kind of, uh, but as the market goes, like you, you can't, as an explorationist, you can't get too much. Uh, you think gold going to 15 or 1600 bucks? It might. But you know, like as I, I look at it right now, you know, gold passed, or I'm not sure what it is today, but it was past 1800 bucks Canadian, you know, last week. So you're kind of going, you know, even at the height of 2011 there, when gold was 1900 well, the Canadian prices were close to the same, so it wasn't that much higher. But it's still worth it for us in Canada, you know, to find gold deposits here because we're still getting a good price for it. So that's kind of... But I don't try to get caught up in the actual where is the gold price going. But And that's why we're trying to steer this company like gold is a different company. This is, like, a, it should be designed to basically work this district for the next 25 to 30 years. And if we make these discoveries like we're doing, we have partners like Ken Ross and MECO, the idea is that we spin out these projects and then US <clears throat> Paper and White Gold gets spin code Paper. But the idea is that we have such a big portfolio and that's what the, the meat is here is, we probably have 80% of the haystacks of the soil anomalies because I know where they are and because uh, and I've covered this district. So we own 40% of the district, but it's probably closer to 80% or a little bit higher of the actual soil targets in this district.
0: Right. Well, that's that's a good perspective and I think people uh, should keep that in mind and these things don't happen overnight, certainly. I think we're in a really interesting place in the market, uh, very, very similar to what was going on around 2001 last time, before things started to pick up and you had a nice move for a period of time. So I I think we're in an interesting place from an investor standpoint. On that subject, you've been through a number of cycles uh, in this sector. You've seen prices go up and down. You've seen uh, the metal prices go up and down. You've seen the share prices go up and down. What do you say to investors in this space that have taken a beating and have had their patience shaken
1: Right now, there's no like uh, from a gold explorers out there. We're not actually finding too much, and that's what's interesting. There's a ton of money being spent, and so like you know, I could hear what their concerns are because I'd be scratching my head too, because nobody's getting uh, put more money into it doesn't mean you're finding anything, and that's what we found out in the 2011 rush. So it's kind of um, but it's that's why now what I'm trying to say is with this white gold model. It's a model. It's a business model. When we initially started the company, part of the model was we're not going to focus on one property. And that's what I brought it to Agnico's attention is that I want a business. Like I came up with a business plan when I took packaged all these 17 or 18 projects, put them into one basket. I created a super company in a sense that owns part of, well, they ended up 40% of the district. But the idea is that let's not get too smart for ourselves. So what I wanted to do was systematically, because everybody had their favorite property. And part about that, we don't even talk about that property today, and that's only two years later. It's still there. like That's called the Betty Project, sitting next to the coffee. But this idea of kissing all the frogs and figuring out where the princesses are, instead of focusing on one first big discovery, led us to this vertigo discovery and led us to a, a few other discoveries. So, so this model of doing this regional and this is what the luxury of nobody else has in a sense. Like most juniors have one property and that's it. And they gotta beat that to uh, you know to the very end. We have like I don't know, well, we have over twenty two thousand claims. So that's probably about twenty five different projects. So the idea is that we're methodically working and increasing so that's what I to me I work it on the probability game. And so that if I go in and do one round of soils and we get good response. Okay, let's go in and do another round detail. Not more good response now add some geophysics in there now maybe add some probing or there's some trenching and if it keeps adding eventually when you drill that hole you've kind of again climbed up that risk ladder so but that's what white gold got kind of unique here is that we've got such a big district but the philosophy is like, don't fall into one trap. Like, so, like, like and, as I say, one trap, one property. And that's what happened with Underworld. My first discovery, made that Underworld discovery. That was going real well, 2008 and 2009. And I said, I think I have its big brother on the other side of the hill called the Coffee. And they, they didn't even really want to believe it. I'm like, really? Like, no, no. I so, and then here it was. But because they were focused just on that one golden saddle, uh, they missed the opportunity of the coffee. So that's what we're trying to eliminate now is by looking at all of the cards almost at once. And that's kind of what I tell people. This is like playing 25-card game, going to the casino. The probability, and that's how why I did this, I believe there's at least minimum one deposit. So if I sold this to 10 different juniors and took paper, I'd have nine loses and one winner. So what I said was, why don't we, if we know, if we believe in our own, as I say, Kool-Aid that we're drinking here, is that there's got to be at least one deposit, high probability of two, a good chance of three, and I won't be surprised at four, because we're talking over the next 10 years or 12
0: years, uh, then there should be a good return for white gold shareholders over the long term here. Well, it sounds like a consistent strategy to me. I want to go on to another subject, uh, ground truth exploration. For the audience that doesn't know, kind of give us an overview of the advantages over conventional techniques and competitor technology? What are you bringing to the table that's really fascinating about ground truth exploration?
1: Well, ground truth is run by actually my wife and foreman, and and I'm kind of in the background, but as a researcher. The idea was in 2011, when the market crashed, everybody left the district. I said, you know, like we did a terrific job so far because led to the white, the coffee, the QV. But I said, like, but we could do better. Like there was like there there is still more ways to improve our system. So we re- literally went back to the, the research table and kind of came up with these different ideas. And they're more simple questions like most gold deposits are related to a structure. How do we find the crack? how do we find the crack with a uh, certainty and that, that we believe that? So we ended up finding this, it's IP, but instead of 25 meter electrode spacings to 50, everybody was looking deeper. I said, let's go shallow. And I call it top down exploration because we have the soil anomaly or the rock and float, because this is the unique thing of this district. We're finding things on the surface. We're not looking for deep things yet. So the idea is that, uh, this new dc resistivity that came out of the environment world with five meter electrodes 84 back to back my resolution was two and a half meters now so now i could see a crack that's two meters and i and i could follow that down to at least 80 meter depths from surface so that was one of the kind of part of the breakthroughs and then we ended up instead of trenching we got this geo probe and it's just a hammer drill that goes down to you know six feet down to the bedrock interface and gets me uh, a plug of rocks and dirt and that's what we do <clears throat> before we drill it and i call that polishing the, the target off because now i'm putting a, a hole down every five meters <clears throat> just like the electrode spaces we're doing and the soils are probably on sometimes around 50 25 and we're detailed as 10 this year on our vertical and then that actually pins the target And we we use with that as an XRF. So now that guys in the field, they're kind of hunting at the same time. Like they could actually see it. They could understand the gold arsenic response. They could arsenic response quite well. So they could, I call it hunting. And then what we did is we came up with this, this RAB rotary air drill. that was out there and they tested, they just like they, they were using it on the coffee with an RC system. But we kind of converted it into a RAB, which is rotary air blast and it's a just a three and a half inch hole that chips the rocks and blows it back up the hole. And again, what we incorporated with that was every five feet, that's what you get per rod, we XRF the powder. And the powder works way better with an XRF than hitting that as as a little piece of point on the rock. So then that added, uh, okay, now we're being able to think live in the field again. And then what we added a kind of a cool, basically uh twist to it everybody said sean that's good RAB's cheap it's about a third the price of diamond drilling but you can't get structure from it so then we came up with two years ago maybe three now it's a a downhole televiewer but it's an optical televiewer that you put down the hole and it gives you an oriented picture of the inside of the hole and sure enough you could see all your vein in and all your alteration you could see everything in that hole and then, so the idea is that we came up with this, how to do the best bang for your buck for drilling. It's, it's this basically recon drilling team that they go in and drill one hole a day. So they get 80 to 100 meters a day on a with the rab. We x the powder coming out. And at seven o'clock, <clears throat> they drop the downhole televiewer down the hole. And they're done by 8.30. By 10.30 in the evening, we actually have that downhole televiewer Picture spliced with the XRF data together, and now that we send that to the to the geos, and so we could have like the command center in Dawson, and the geos will get that and they could have two rigs out there on two different properties. But now he and then the drill goes, you know, everybody goes to bed at night, so we only do one shift, and that gives the geos the evening to actually scratch their head and go, do we continue on with this drilling or not, or do we modify it? But that kind of real time data. Would normally take us six, seven weeks to get that data. So now we're getting that on a nightly kind of schedule. So that kind of advantage, and that's what Ignico liked about my original "let's kiss all the frogs" kind of mentality. But with this technique, so now this was the ultimate. I called like the ultimate a team or the commando team of how do you systematically hit a project. And we also do drones, part of that. So that's why we call this model or this method "drones to drills," where we could do from droning detailed soils, probing, DC resistivity, rad drilling, uh, right to the end like that. So, so that's what. So we're working roughly on uh, $2,011. We're about 30 cents on the dollar compared to how they were working back then, 25 to, somewhere between 25 and 30 cents
0: fascinating and does the does the technology does ground truth work exclusively with white gold corp or is there some is it just a uh, contract by contract or what's the structure set up there
1: the bulk of their work like originally ground truth was just for my customers that's how i developed them because i put the R and D money into it well they put money into it also <laughs> both of us did but the idea is that so, but now they're allowed to contract other companies. So they've moved into Alaska now and uh, working for companies there. And then they do they do work for other com- customers up here in the Yukon. But I'd say the bulk, 80% of their work right now is for uh, for white gold.
0: So let's get into White Gold Corp. I, I want to start for a moment about the structure and management of the company. Who are the key people at White Gold, and who are the notable shareholders on the roster?
1: So that. So what I did at the beginnings, before white gold was even thought, or I thought about it, but we didn't know what we were doing yet. I basically picked up uh, Jody Gibson as a geologist to work with me <clears throat> pre this white gold. And uh, the idea was he was the one that was drilling off the underworld deposit, the Golden Saddle. So, and then he was working with Centerra around here. So he had he had some really good familiarities with the, our the gold our projects up here. and and Yukon itself, and and we we worked really well together. So I said, okay, let's get him in the picture. So then he come in, and then eventually what I did is I brought this whole package to uh, the Power One Group, the Patrick Capitalist Group, and uh, we dealt together in the past on other deals. So then we said, okay, well, let's look at this as a big project. So then we, so that was the money group, we got the geology group, and then uh, we went over and we picked up, talked to Rob Carpenter. who was the CEO of Kamanak at the time of the discovery. So then we got him as part of the technical advisor and as a director. So now we've kind of covered, you know, the two main geos from the district. We've got the, the finance group, we've got the ground truth group doing the exploration work. And then, and I'm still sitting on certain, you know, I'm hanging in with them because I, like, uh, my game here, I don't get a paycheck out of this deal, but if I make a new discovery, it's the royalty. So that's kind of what I'm in the game for. <laughs> so we're not leaving here too soon here.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's good because it it uh, you kind of get the back end of the deal. Yeah. So it's it's really kind of up to you in the front here to come up with that discovery so you can pay yourself. And, and I, I that's actually a very interesting, unique approach. Uh, not used too often in this space. Um, can you highlight just for a moment the the, the notable shareholders on the roster? I, I want to say you mentioned so, yeah, Kenrock and Gneco. Yeah.
1: So what we what kind of the cool part at the beginning was we approached Gneco, uh, well, we approached most of the majors to see who wanted the, at the beginning of white gold in 2016. And everybody, like everybody, there was like a lot of positive response. Everybody kind of wanted in. And it, this was wanted into this. 15, first, $15 million to throw in for this three-year regional program. So we ended up picking Agnico because, mostly because they had the best, what I consider the best exploration. They were smart guys, they're good bush guys, or, you know, most of them were from Valdor area and from Timmins, so I, I could relate right away, but they were good down to people but explorers, and you could see they've been with the company for 25, 30 years. So, and when they, when we presented data, they were all there. It wasn't just one or two guys, there was a, a group. So I like that feedback, cause that's what, you know, I'm working in a vacuum sometimes on my own. So that, uh, so they came in for 19.9. And then the next spring we said, why don't we, cause the new Kinross was looking at probably unloading the assets of the underworld. So we said, well, let's go see if they would want to become a partner 199 and throw their project in. And uh, so we paid them some cash and shares and uh, they became 19.9% uh, owners also. So then now we've got, and then management owns, I think we own roughly around 22 or 25%, somewhere in that. So it was, uh, so that's kind of the double-edged sword again. What happens is that there's a big chunk owned, uh, you know, uh, well, it looks like there's, I see there, they got about 40, percent float rather shareholders, but, but it's, uh, so we got the kind of, so every time we go to raise money, that's the kind of cool thing. Like Nico and Kinross Ross are holding, they're maintaining their position all the time. So like they take care of 40% of the money we're trying to raise. And then the, the other flip side of that are the cool side. That's what I like. These are the guys that are probably going to put the thing into, into production. And so, and we told them, we're not holding anybody as favorites. So we want you guys to work together. We make a discovery. You guys, you know, both put it together, you know, put it into production together. They have to figure that out themselves. But the idea is we weren't going to, that's what we were hoping is that we, they would both work together on these
0: discoveries if, if it's warrants putting it into production there. So when you guys went out and uh, approached these uh, various mid-tier and majors, um, what what was it that, that that got their attraction? Was it the fact that Sean Ryan was in charge and it was a big land package, or what was it that really did it for them?
1: I think they recognize the district again. Twenty million ounces of placer, no known source ever seen, and but I think they also like so that allures them from an exploration. But the big one is like I, al- I already had about. I think at that point I had 350,000 or somewhere in that neighborhood, in this district. So I've had I had numerous airborne surveys. So I had about 25 million from the other from the juniors that originally I optioned the ground to, coming back. So the so what I presented to them was let's look like because I used to work with the majors let's tackle this kind of like a major would and they don't do it anymore but now we have this database of soils and geophysics. Let's bring a structure guy on board. Let's bring a, a high-level geophysicist. And let's take a big overlook at the whole district. And that's what that kind of got Agnico and these guys going in. At, mostly Agnico saying, like, we like this approach. It's a pure regional. So the, the game was, is that we're going to take no more than 25 holes per project when we start evaluate them. so once we get to the drilling stage up oh, that we're ready you get a 25 hole budget and that's it like and the idea is that and if it looks like it's got some legs after 25 holes then we put that into a phase two and a phase two might be the second year and that's a, a so this is kind of what's going on with the vertigo it came into phase two that we follow up with a bigger diamond drill program and the original idea was not to actually throw a ton of money, but now everybody got excited at this, so we're putting $7 million on the vertical this year. But that's the phase two. And then if it has legs, this is the interesting part, then they they have to either, that's when we're looking at the SPINCO idea. Now, management still got to figure out which way they're really taking this. But they're going to do a version of something like that, because the idea is to get that asset out of white gold and then let the majors finance that as a separate vehicle. And that way, we're not diluting white gold itself, and white gold has the rest of its properties. Instead of a complete buyout that happened with Underworld, that was what happened with Underworld when they got bought out by Kinross. People don't realize they actually got bought out partially because the J.P. Ross project. And so that's the one that we're now just making this big vertical discovery because that the data in 2009. At the end of September, when they had drilled off the pit that was over a million ounces on the golden saddle, we did a big regional. I convinced managed to fund a big regional on my JP Ross property that I just optioned to them. And when that data came back in December, we did six thousand soils in October, it looked actually better than the white. And so that's why Kinross Ross got all excited and said let's by 2010 or in the, uh, in March and said, Let's take underworld out for the white but also for the jp ross because they wanted to poke the holes in there and keep it quiet because it looked like this was going to blow up pretty good and then because uh, they were trying to keep the lid on the district as a whole because they were the only ones around at the time and then we made the discovery drill a hole on the coffee and then the rest is history so but the idea is that that's what i'm trying not to fall into that trap of
0: losing all this ground Based on one discovery in the company. So, so tell us about the projects. Uh, which projects are you really favoring at this point, and what is the objective for the team in terms of discovery size that meets to your satisfaction? Well, this is it.
1: We're in a like kind of a unique scenario right now. Is that we're since we have the white deposit south of the home saddle, we didn't we picked it up it had a million ounce couple of years ago <clears throat> originally Underworld had a million and a half got downgraded to a million once Kinross got it and then we went back back at it and actually dropped a few more started putting more infill drill holes and now we have it back up to a million and a half ounces but what we're trying to do we've got some good we've got about a 5,000 meter drill program for that and we have uh, 2,500 meters of rad drilling or RC drilling to fault like on other targets so that we're going to scratch that. We'll see how far we get it. So what we've got here is uh, what I put the kind of the everybody on high alert here is that this might be potentially our last season on the white property in the J.P. Ross. So what we did is what we're doing now is something really different and it's a really fun, like it's got me in data is The data's just coming in now. This is what, what I ended up doing. Because of this vertigo discovery, and that vertigo is a super high-grade thing, and it's about 10, like it's, uh, it's from three meters to up to 15 meters wide of ore that's up to two ounce material. It's the first, the vertigo, like on the J.P. Ross property, what it is, is it's the first sign of where the placer gold is coming from. And it's, uh, it's the first time that we could actually touch rocks in the hill and see the same rocks in the placer creek. So we know there's a direct correlation through some scientific, uh, they did some gold grain analysis and the gold had bismuth and the rocks in the hill have bismuth that's the only spot that they ever found bismuth in gold grains. But and now we're dealing with the plaster miners at the bottom and we, were, we just came out of there the other day and we could see some nice altered rocks that are the same ones we're drilling on the hill. So that uniqueness, okay, that's a cool thing. So what I ended up doing was, but like, we found that on 10 meter space soil. Like we we tripped over it on 50, but then we eventually realized we had to go down on 10 meters. And so what I just did on the JP Ross because it's we have a big soil package like it's lots of soil and almonds on there. So we ended up doing 54 mini grids that are basically uh, 10 meter soils on 50 meter line spacing, super high detail. And we're doing, so, and then we're, so that's 54 on the, on the JP Ross, and we have 20 grids going down, or 16, actually, on the white. So I have 75 detailed grids going in right now. And so that means that I'm not looking for the gold target. We already know where they are. I'm actually pulling, now I'm, I'm getting it set up for more detail. And uh, so that's what we just did in June. So now all that data is flowing in now. And we're going to basically start probing that, like uh, doing our geophysics, and then basically probing it. So that'll take us about three weeks here. Then we're going to start, we have a budget of roughly, I think it's about 45 RC holes. Uh, No, it's actually 55 RC holes that we're going to hit both projects with. And the idea is like out of the 75 grids, Statistically, I should have two good targets per grid, so then we're going to flush them out, and then we're only going to drill, like, you know, the best of the best. So my take is, from the mushroom world, flying one mushroom, there's more. <laughs> these things should start popping up out of this, like out of these soil databases. So we should have a pile of brand new targets. So the guys are drilling the vertigo, they're going to fence drill that thing off, and They've got 10,000 metres of drilling set up for that. But my job is all the perimeter on the outside, like outside of the main drilling zone. So we same thing on the white. They're drilling more of this Golden Saddle West that they found. They're actually going to eventually stitch that with the Golden Saddle, probably with some of these holes they're drilling. And then my job is to hit the perimeter. And mostly what I'm trying to do is because if this is my last year, my job or like at least last year on this, on these properties, my job is to actually find a whole bunch of new discoveries so that we have to get, so we get paid, uh, like bonus. You know, if they have one price set for the, the vertigo and the white, well, everything else that I find there'll be bonus, 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 bonus. Like, so though so that should increase our, our, takeout prices if it comes that way. So, but this, this is, I have never had a, this is like going to the Gerties cause we have, we have a gambling hall here. Yeah, and you're playing seventy-five card games at once, and you're you're bound to hit in a few of these. So that's the probability game.
0: <laughs> well, I'm sure you're placing your best just about right. Um, so with the extension of extensive land package, is there any joint venture interest, or is that something that uh, you do not want at White Gold, and you guys have got the region covered yourself?
1: Yeah, like it's well, you see, like we have the maids, like you know, like there's nobody. Uh, there's really, like, see, the joint venture, see, what I'm trying to do is, if we find a discovery, you spin that asset out. And then that asset, then if people want to joint venture that or work with that asset and dump money, that's kind of the model. So, but with Ignico and Kinross, it kind of keeps people, like, a little bit, like, you know, there's not too many people knocking on the door trying to do a joint because they own 40%. So, So, we kind of got our partners that we need and that's why this model of spin out that asset and then because like see like, like if you understand the game like the white the underworld discovery was like uh, like it was the ultimate for a junior they picked it up in 2007 by 2009 they had 121 holes but they only had about 25 million spent on the property <laughs> and then they got bought out for 140 like uh, like it was like bang, bang, and they were out, so, but the coffee took eighty five million, so it was a lot of money, and it was like almost 300,000, 265,000 meters of drilling by the time they got taken out, so the idea is that it's a it's a long game sometimes, so we have so many projects that that's why I say if we spin it out, if they want to pump in fifty or sixty million into delineating that and pick it up but that's better in another in another set of assets so.
0: And as as things start to come about and more discoveries start to come up throughout this process that you've laid out, what happens strategy for White Gold, the company as as some of these might get spun out uh, to some of the other the other folks involved and and so forth some of the discoveries move on to other owners and as White Gold Corp keeps building up the discoveries ahead is there is there an end game in terms of white gold? Does someone come along and say, you know what, enough? There's enough discoveries here that you guys have got, plus all the perspectives we're we're going to try to take you out. Are you open to that, or what's the end end game for white gold?
1: I'm hoping that see, it's kind of interesting. The government is putting a road right down the, like they already have partial roads going through, like uh, <laughs> one lane roads, bush roads going through, but now they're talking about You know, making whole grade roads from Dawson all the way to the coffee project. So that goes right through the heart of most of our claims. Like it's like we're the, like it's going right through. So it's kind of, so from my long-term perspective, I want White Gold to stay in this game for 25 years. Because this is like, to me, this is like owning 40% of the Timmins camp. You know, like if you can own 40% of the Timmins Camp <laughs> today, you'd be a hero. So the idea is that that's what we have in there. 80% of the soil and all almost. So the long-term thing, this with and like in this road going through means now that gloves are off. I don't have to find two million ounces once we get one going into production. If I find three hundred thousand or ounces or half a million ounces, we could truck that to the mine. So this becomes so. That's what I'm trying to get at, is that I'm hoping. Like, you know, that's what I tell my wife. She says, well, how are you getting out of the game? Because I'm not selling paper. So me and the Power One, Pat Capital made a deal together (laughs) that we're hanging on for the end. So it's spin co, spin co, spin co. So if it spins, we get four discoveries and you get four spin co's. Well, you're making money every spin co. So that's kind of, but what I like about this is our biggest problem with exploration has been flash You know, juniors flash up and flash down when the market crashes. They have no long-term tenacity sometimes. So this is like White Gold is kind of like a major mining company. When I was in Timmins, I used to work for Kid Creek, and they had the mine, and we were the exploration team. And they're there for the long term. So that's kind of what I'm trying to get with White Gold, that if we have the explorationists, guys that have been working on these projects, you know, for the last few years, and they continue on, new discoveries, then uh, th- this white gold should go on for if we do this right, another twenty five years without you know without getting taken out. Be- mostly because we have Ken Ross and Ignico as our partners, so they own forty percent. So they would have to agree to that too. <laughs> and I don't think they'd agree to someone else taking that whole package out. But it's uh yeah. So that's kind of what I was trying to set this company up as as a long term force because that's see. Our haystacks, like we drilled some targets on the dime a year, and two years ago. Well, we hit 20 or 25 meters of 0.6 grams from surface. That wasn't in the money. So we walked away, but we're not dropping the property. We'll come back to that maybe in two more years or three years and start drilling deeper holes into that once we understand the district even better. And that's kind of when the dominoes, that snowball starts building because your data and now your discovery rates go up. So that's what I'm trying to keep this thing in. Instead of, you know, selling the whole thing and then you the guys come in and everybody starting new. So, because I, back to I own the royalties, <laughs> so I want the best of the best working on this uh, for the next 25 years.
0: Well, it sounds pretty attractive to me and an interesting strategy that you're laying out. Is there anywhere else in the world you'd go to explore? And if so, what jurisdictions do you like?
1: People want north america right and so that's what uh, you know for, but for me to go to the Timmins camp where i was raised my probability of finding some there is is low because everything is deep so that's what i picked like the yukon everything's on surface and same with labrador now and uh <clears throat> that we're finding all these gold is lighting up right with our soil samples right on surface so, uh, so it's kind of a so that part of the world uh, from an exploration, it looks like it's got a lot of upside there.
0: Sean, what do you like to do when you're not out working the grounds of the Yukon?
1: Well, that's what I just did. We just came from the mushroom patch. That's where I, you know, that's <laughs> you know, the irony is people chuckle about that, but that's how I learned like mushrooms after the '89 flow through crash. I to, <clears throat> we left Timmins because everybody was out of work, and we ended up picking wild mushrooms for the next eight years, and and it's just like. It was the pine mushrooms on the West Coast that sold to Japan on the stock commodity market. And uh, then the spring are for the European group. And it was kind of interesting. It was a lot of the parallels and you did the same research and slope aspects and elevation. But that's what uh, ironically gave me the confidence to tackle the looking for gold in Dawson was that if you could predict with a high probability where a mushroom is gonna grow. And some of these things don't grow. The spring morel here doesn't grow for, it's only after a fire. So the last time that mushroom grew was 200 years ago. So you have to predict a crop that's gonna come. You can't see, but if you use all the science and if you put science to it, you could actually predict how many pounds are gonna actually come off of that hill. So once I did that, that's when I said, well, okay, if I could predict how mushrooms are gonna grow, we should certainly be able to find gold. So that was what, but it took a long time and that's the naivety of me. My wife says you always make it too simple, but it was this systematic (laughs) approach. Just hit the, you know, keep your head down one soil at a time, but each soil is as important as the next. That's why for the soil team, you have to take a two and a half week course to work for ground Truth, And literally we teach you how to be almost like a military commando. Cause I have to throw you out of the helicopter, teach you how to use a chainsaw and use an ax, how to camp and and how to take a good soil and all these parameters. Yeah. So it was, so it's a, but it was, it's fun. Like this is, you know, it's still like a cool business for young people to come into because uh, it's the closest thing is like mil, the military, but you don't get shot here. <laughs> you could just <laughs> run around and no, no, it's a good game here. So, but it's, It's the Yukon, and you know what, like, it's still virgin. And that's what, you know, if that's what caught people's imagination in 2011 or 10 when I gave a talk once in Toronto and talked about my methods. And then some guy stood up and asked questions here and said, he says, are you telling me that if we go to the Yukon and stake our claim and go do soils, we would be the first to do that? I said, yep. There's a high probability. Of most of these, most of this area has not been looked at, and uh, that's what kind of triggered everybody. whole pro Like this new gold rush. There was like, it was eventually over that two-year window. There was over two hundred thousand claims taken. Like I think this year there might have been five hundred. <laughs> so like, so that's what the whole point is. Is it, it got everybody going? But the Yukon is still like this. So this vertigo discovery we're making right now. Like there's plaster gold right below us there's plaster gold on the other side of the hill like there's and you're laughing now i just talked to another placer guy and he's on the other side of the hill and he's finding good gold and you're kind of going like if this was the timmons camp or anywhere close to a population you'd have this would have been found 50 60 years ago and like welcome to the Yukon. <laughs> like you're right there it's like you know so so that's why it's it, it's it's fun because it's all new nobody's done this so when you go to a hilltop and you walk that hill, you're the first guy to actually think of gold. But that's why I say what we do is I'm a prospector, but I don't really like prospecting. What I like to do is get the data, set it all up, and then after two years, you fly out the helicopter, you walk that ridge, and in an hour, you have the rabbit. You have the gold in your hands because you took your time to set it up to drop the black ball. And that's what this game's about is getting that that you. The highest probability you're going to success because most people on the first pass, if they go out and grab some rocks, they give up if they don't see the gold, and that's what happened with the coffee project. I had 20 different geos all try to get gold off of that discovery area, and not one of them had gold. And they say, well, and I said, well, that's fine. I didn't find any gold there neither in the rocks. And they're going, well, what the hell? But we didn't find. We got it in the soils. So we eventually found it, but everybody else was ready to give up because they didn't get it on the first pass. And that's my take here. You gotta, it takes time here. So, anyways, well, you got to so, believe in yeah. these these things exist out there. That's my point here.
0: <laughs> well, it sounds like you're committed, uh, probably to the point where you can't do it anymore, and there's probably nothing else that you'd rather do than this, from the way you explain it. So I want to ask, uh, wrapping up here. Yeah. Why should, why should investors look at White Gold Corp. today? What would you say to potential investors that are listening?
1: Well, for one, White Gold is different from everybody else. It's not designed as a quick, it's not a one-trick pony. We've got 23 projects. They're all in one district. So what, I, what we got is a company, it's kind of like a super company in a sense, because our focus is in this district. And so that's the idea is that, and we own 80% of the known soil anomalies out there out of like 400 plus soil samples, like so 400,000 plus soil samples. So, and then with this idea that not going to be a one trick pony for that, it gets bought out and it's gone. No, it's designed to spin out. And basically, because I'm hoping that we have at least four discoveries. Oh, and I'm hoping to have this, you see, you know, we should hit, Now, this white is moving along real good, this vertigo, but the vertigo is one out of about eight targets. And I'm hoping to prove the other targets all have just as equal this summer. But the idea is that if we do our magic right, and then there will be something happening this winter because now we're approaching management idea of spin it out. So they're discussing, but Ignico and Kinross want to see what we're going to find on this vertigo. So then if that happens, well, then there might be a quick, basically, I'm um, making an opportunity this, this winter coming based on just this golden saddle discovery. Uh, you're in the golden saddle. So golden saddle discovery, and it's been there for a while, but this new golden saddle west, there'll be ounces. As vertigo proves that it's got more legs, then uh, we should see some sort of spin out by next winter, by this winter and then next year the best target that we all everybody wanted from three years ago we drilled that last year poked some holes in it that was called the betty and we hit 50 meters of over a gram in there we'll get back to that one <laughs> so and then we have some we have some really good projects even closer to town uh, we haven't poked a hole yet and people are going like why not and i'm going no we're going to keep that card for a while like so so we have enough projects to do that. And that's what's kind of cool about the company. So my take is, is like, this is a, a unique company that the majors is the backing. And the idea is that we have the land package and we have the team. So then it's, uh, as I say, there's no excuse now.
0: <laughs> and how can folks reach out to the company for more information?
1: I guess we have this, the, like White Gold Corp's got a website. But then there's the guys in Toronto, and like he followed the, the They got their phone numbers to follow that up. But that's the kind of like you know. So like that's the big thing that the type of, the news releases that are going to come out in this. Like we've got like twenty two thousand meters of drilling. Like you know. So like we have ten thousand on the Vertigo, five thousand on the White. So then I got twenty five holes, twenty five hundred meters for the White property for all these new the sixteen grids that we're doing these detailed grids. And then we have, uh, I've got another 35,000 meters of drilling for the vertigo. So I've got 35 holes on that on these 54 mini grids. And the idea is that if we hit something and it looks really good and it's going to, we're going to require more money. The company has 17 million bucks right now in the treasury. Our budget is 13 million. So (laughs) I've got the management on high alert that come middle of August if we think we need another million or two for more drilling on some of these good targets, that we have that in the bank. And the idea is that these RAB drills can drill right too, because they're air drills. They could drill right through to the end of October if we have to. So so we have a lot of time to find these, uh, get a bunch more discoveries. So yeah, no, it's a a different ride, it's a different junior, it's more of a long-term holder, because you should see see some return after return if I do my job right. Three or four of these things.
0: So, well, that sounds interesting, and uh, appreciate the the additional info there. And the website, uh, just looking at it here, is whitegoldcorp.ca. Sean, it's been a complete uh, pleasure to speak with you today. Uh, we hope you come back soon.
1: Yep. No. Thanks. No, it was fun here. Yep.